Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 477 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Today's episode, I am so excited, is an interview I got to do with Yaa Jesse back in February at the um, <clears throat> Public Library Association conference. And listeners who have listened since at least December, although I think I also mentioned this in our September preview episode, um, Yaa Jesse's debut novel, Homegoing, was my absolute favorite book of the 2010s. And there were a lot of good books that came out last this previous decade, but Homegoing was far and away one of the best books I've ever read. And she has a new book out, Transcendent Kingdom, and it is just as good. And I'm so excited for you both you to um, read it and also listen to me talk to her about it. And I don't want to like take up too much of your time because you should we should get to the interview. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can um, go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. And you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Um, I don't think there's anything else. Not really any housekeeping stuff right now. So, yeah, I think that's it. Um, so enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jill, and with me I have Yaa Jesse. Uh, her debut novel, Homegoing, was the National Book Critic Circle's John Leonard Award, the Penn Hemingway Award, and also, as our listeners know, my favorite book of the decade. <laughs> um, she has a brand new book out called Transcendent Kingdom. I'm so excited and try not to fangirl um thank you so much for coming on the podcast oh my pleasure thank you so much Jill for having me so can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to Transcendent Kingdom yes um so Transcendent Kingdom is a novel that follows a woman named Gifty who is a Ghanaian American getting her PhD in neuroscience um, and she studies something called the neural circuits of reward seeking, which don't be scared by that term. It just means that she's studying things like addiction and depression um, and using a process called optogenetics to do so. Um, and it's at a time in her life when her own mother, who is quite ill, um, suffering from major depressive disorder, comes to stay with her. And so she's kind of reflecting on her childhood, taking care of her mother, um, and thinking about her own brother who passed away um, due to an overdose when he was in high school. Um, so the book is, I think, an attempt to think through things, questions of faith and um, how to make sense of life when difficult things happen. Um, and yeah. I know that uh, Homecoming was inspired by a trip you made to Ghana. Was there anything in particular that inspired you to write this one? Yes, this one um, also has a fun inspiration story, which is just that my um, childhood best friend is a neuroscientist, um, and she does this particular kind of research. Um, and I, you know, knew what she did kind of colloquially. I could mm -hmm. explain it to people sort of, but I didn't really understand it. Um, and I felt like there was this kind of imbalance, particularly when Homegoing came out and she 
um, was like my number one fan, like super supportive um, and could relate to me on this level. And I realized that I could not do the same for her with her work because I just didn't understand it. I had right. like no basis, um, no language um, with which to approach her work. And so it started really, um, I don't think I knew I was writing a book at the time. I just kind of wanted to like learn about what she did um, in a way that could relate to uh, my own understanding um, and once I started that process I saw that it's incredibly relevant to um, just the way that I kind of think about the world and um, a lot of what she does kind of mapped on really nicely to things that I think about as well um, and once I realized that I thought okay maybe there's a novel somewhere in here. I will say um, when it came to the neuroscience part mm -hmm. I actually understood it. Oh, so. good. <laughs> like this makes sense that to makes me. That me really happy to hear. <laughs> um, and that actually, I mean, I, I'm assuming when it came to the research, your friend was a, was a big part in, in working yes. through all that. Yes. The poor person <laughs> had to answer a lot of my, I'm sure, like incredibly basic for her questions. Um, yeah. Well, it came out well. It came out well. Um, <laughs> as you sort of said in, in your intro, a lot of the book is kind of about science and religion and sort of the pull between those. And I think also like childhood being versus being an adult and yeah. kind of that um what made you want to explore those themes hmm. I mean I think partly I hadn't written too much about um my own childhood as I experienced it in homegoing I mean homegoing covers so many time periods and places and um, ideologies, etc. And there's a character in Homegoing, Marjorie, who has somewhat of a similar background to me, um, but it didn't feel as like close and as intimate. Um, and so part of what I wanted to do with this book was to kind of think about what it's like to grow up in um, Huntsville, uh, Alabama, um, when you come from this kind of separate community um, of Ghanaian Americans in my case. Um, so that was, I think, part of the, uh, the draw to write a book like this, was to think about a childhood in which you are incredibly isolated um, in a place that is already kind of isolating mm -hmm. for other reasons, um, but to be further othered, um, not just because of, in my case, blackness, but also because of um, kind of this immigrant identity that I had as well. Um, so I think this is the first time that I was able to kind of look at that um, really in-depth through fiction. Okay. Yeah. And of course, it's also, you know, we had this whole opioid crisis happening in the yes. world as well, and that plays a major part in the story and yeah. get these experiences. Exactly. You know, like, like so many of you, I'm sure I've been following very closely um, the media reports about the opioid crisis, and um, it's, it's staggering. The figures are staggering and deeply upsetting, and I think, um, you know, if I can do anything to kind of shed a light on this situation, um, particularly through because of the, the research that Gifty does. It was mm -hmm. an easy way to kind of think through um, those problems and those questions. And um, I think oftentimes one thing that Gifty attempts to do um, through her work is to kind of destigmatize um, how we think about um, opioid use disorder sufferers. And um, hopefully this book offers um, offers a different way of, of looking at people. Right. And I think it also gave me a different understanding on reward-seeking behavior because mm -hmm. I always, my, like, my knowledge surrounding it is always in positive reward-seeking. Mm, yeah, sure. And then, of course you cover a different perspective on it, which yeah. I think is good as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So widen the 
the yeah. understanding of it. And like I said, it made sense to me. <laughs> Good, totally. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I do have to ask about homegoing sure. just a little bit. It, like, what was it like to have your debut just be so big? <laughs> um, it was totally overwhelming. I think you know. I always say there's something about working on a fir first novel that's really kind of liberating in that. Um, you work for so long under the impression that perhaps no one will ever see it. Um, so I describe it as kind of like working in the dark, unclear okay. as to whether or not your work will ever see the yep. light of day. Um, and so to have Homegoing come out into the light and not just any light, but a light that is so shockingly bright um, was really beyond uh, anything that I could have ever imagined or hoped for. And, um, you know, I, I've always wanted to be a writer ever since I was a a small child and so um this feels um this feels like really truly like the fulfillment of a very very long dream for me and so in that case what was it like writing your second book then um it was a strange experience i mean i think again with the first book i didn't really know what um what kind of world it would enter into um in a way and now i know at least that there are people who do want to read my work um, and that that does kind of change my relation to it to it somewhat as much as i would hope to not ever think about that i think um, it was hard not to be aware of the fact that people were going to eventually be reading the things that i write um, and so i think audience the questions about audience kind of creeped in in a way that um that they don't in a first book right because you're yeah. probably Knowing that there will be people reading it, yeah. wondering yeah. what they'll think about it in advance. Right. That's, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is. It's a bit of, it is a lot of pressure. Um, and I think, you know, the, the conditions under which writers write um, are ones that kind of require kind of shutting out all of the noise. Um, and so I don't know how other writers do it, but I think for me, one thing that was really, really kind of difficult to navigate was how do I return to that little quiet kind of bubble yep. um, in which I in which I'm able to create. Um, so it took me a while to kind of figure that out, um, but once I did, the writing came smoothly. Um, this book is mostly set more like contemporary time, mm -hmm. not like as you said, homegoing goes back generations, yeah. a long time. Yeah. Did that change your process at all and how you approach the story? Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I think the one way that it changed the most is that I had to do far less research, which was Fair. completely liberating. Um, yeah, Homegoing was um, just an intensely um, research-driven process. And for this, I always say for Homegoing, the research was kind of wide but shallow. Like I was trying to learn a little bit about a lot of things, um, whereas for this, the research was um, was very narrow. Right. Like I just wanted to know a lot about this one very, very particular thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would change it. Yeah. It better. Um, and you went to the Iowa Writers Workshop, correct? I did. So I, I know about it. I have a bachelor's in creative writing, not mm. from Iowa Writers, but yeah. so it's, for writers, that's sort of a big, like that's sort of the ultimate thing you could hope to get to. What was that experience like? It was great. It was really, really great. I, I didn't really know when I was you know, in undergrad, I had no idea what the process um, 
toward becoming a, a novelist looked like. And I remember my senior year, I went to a bunch of my different mentors on campus and I was like, tell me what to do with my life, basically. Um, and most of them said, take a year off and then decide if you want to go to grad school. Um, and so that's what I did. I, I took a year off um, and I worked in San Francisco hated my job and was like, I just need to find a way to get back to writing. Um, and Iowa became that way. It's a fully funded program. Um, I think the director, Sam Chang, has done so much to make it a, a more inclusive place than it used to be. Um, so, you know, more women, more people of color um, than there were 20 years ago are attending this program. Um, the writing feels very different. I know sometimes people think that coming out of a program like that, everybody sounds the same. Um, but in my experience, um, the writers were w widely different um, writers like I graduated around the same time as writers like Garth Greenwell and Tony Tula Tamudi and Carmen Maria Machado and Fatima Mirza and I think that's a you big know, class of people it's a big <laughs> class of people and when you um, read our work they're incredibly incredibly varied um, but we all you know have this similar education and I think um, it truly was a place that wanted to allow writers to have the space and the time to pursue their their visions and I appreciated that. No and I think that speaks to you know you as a writer because it always feels very authentic like mm. it just it feels it doesn't feel like anybody else's yeah. writing style. Thank so. you. You're welcome. <laughs> like I said try not to fangirl. Okay um, <laughs> we're of course at a library conference. Mm -hmm. Were you a library user as a kid? I was a huge library user as a as a child. My um I, I told this story um, to a group earlier, but I uh, moved around a lot when I was a kid, and one of the first things that my dad would do when we reached a new state was to take us to the library to get our library cards. Um, and I think for me, very early on, libraries became the one like kind of grounding force. Like I knew I was going to move every two years, but at the very least, I would have a library where I could go and find books and find people who cared about the things that I cared about and made space for me um, and so libraries were a huge part of my life and also as someone who didn't grow up with a lot of money um, I don't think we ever bought books really as a child yeah. um, which now I know sounds kind of scandalous to some people but um, but to me like the library was the only place that I would get access to this thing that I loved so much which were books um, and so I'm hugely indebted to libraries and librarians um, for making me the person that I am today. No, I mean, that that is what libraries are for in Absolutely. a lot of ways. Yeah. It's not everyone can buy books. Exactly. And exactly. so you just go to the library and get them for free. Exactly. <laughs> what sort of books did you read when you were a child? Um, I read just kind of everything that I could get my hands on. I really, I had like a, a phase of basically only reading Victorian literature. <laughs> sure. I was like obsessed with Dickens um, and George Eliot and uh, Jane Austen. Had that period of, of my life. Um, but I also read a lot of YA in middle school. I loved Sarah Dessen. I loved mm -hmm. um, Cynthia Voigt. I read a lot. Um, Homecoming, mm -hmm. which I know yep. is a similar title to Homegoing. <laughs> um, but I loved Homecoming. Um, and that whole series of books were, were really, really formative for me. Um, I guess my last question is, what do you want readers to take away from Transcending Kingdom? Um, that's a good question. Nobody's, I haven't had to talk about Transcending Kingdom that much yet. That happens so, so much. That happens so often to me at these shows where someone's like, I haven't had an interview about this book before. Exactly. Like, so great. Like, oh, I really have to think. Um, yeah. What do I want people to get out of Transcendent Kingdom? Um, I mean, I hope that for people who are kind of struggling to 
think through um, or process their own childhoods, um, that it's a book that kind of allows the space to think about some of the, um, not just the traumas, but the ways that we kind of overcome um, and develop as as adults. Mm -hmm. I think that was an important thing for me with the book. Um, And then also, I hope that it kind of expands the conversation around um, people who suffer from mental illness, um, addiction, um, things that are often stigmatized um, in our culture, and to understand that, you know, any any of us, um, these things could befall. And it's not, um, it's not a crime, and it's not um, kind of a sign of weakness. Um, it's, it's just a thing that happens. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Jill. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.